Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a guy who loves wrestling with God's Word, my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Yo, Irish. So let's get after it here, Father Len. Right. Uh, we, we have a question from one of our regular listeners, and I think it might be right up your alley, Father Len. Kathy uh, wants to know if God's thinking and God's teachings are black and white. Now, now I know you have an affinity for things that are black and white, but I I'm Mostly also, dress in those colors, yeah. Yeah, you're always in black and white, yeah. Little splash uh, but, of white but, at the throat. But but I also know in terms of thinking and conversation, you, you appreciate shades of gray now and then. So, uh, Father Len, is God's thinking and God's teachings always black and white, or are there a few gray areas here and there? I love the question. And I want to be clear, this is more my answer than any official church teaching. Oh. But, yeah. So I'll tell you my answer. My answer would be, I actually think from God's view, they're black and white. From our view, there's a lot of gray. And there's a danger in thinking too much that I can see the difference. Now, give you an example. Like we mentioned this before, anytime you interpret religion through the ego is dangerous. Because many Jews expected that the Christ would come and make them successful and powerful and conquer their enemies. And it does not exactly say that in the Old Testament, but it's easy to interpret the Bible that way. But then you find out that when Christ does come, he does come to make us number one, but by making us foot washers and servants to the poor and to the brokenhearted. So, Christ comes to make us number one, but to make us more powerful than hate or selfishness or depression or disease. That's what he means by number one. And they keep thinking number one means being, you know, king and wealthy and powerful. So Christ's definition of being number one is different than people's definition. So that's what I mean that, you know, from God's side, I think morality and teachings are black and white. Uh, from our side, I think it's necessary to admit some gray because if you interpret the Bible or any moral situation through the lens of an ego, you will always be wrong. So is morality black and white? Yes. From God's point of view, because God is pure and without ego and without corruption, our black and white morality is too often viewed for the, through the prisms of agendas and egos. So just like uh, think about Just the question of love. The Pharisees, they always think that they're morally right. And they know the Bible better than anybody. They can quote where it says to do something in the Bible. But Jesus interprets the law from love and works with people. So Jesus is willing to accept anyone. And this really, like in the Gospel of Luke, meal number six, the Gospel of Luke is 10 meals with Jesus. Meal number six, Jesus welcomes everybody. He welcomes the tax collectors and prostitutes. And the Pharisees get really upset. You know, these prostitutes and tax collectors, these people need to be punished. It clearly, the Bible is against prostitution and adultery. And so, yes, those things are sinful and dangerous for us. And I think Jesus would agree with that. 
but he welcomes them because that's what love does because God is love. And so he'll give several parables that to the Pharisees that no, God is love. You have to be able to welcome people and they can't seem to hold the two things together at once that, yeah, maybe prostitution is wrong. It doesn't mean that you should stop loving them and love perfects us. Anybody who doesn't love and proclaims that they know God is a liar. God is love. And so, yeah, prostitution, I would say, is wrong. But can you welcome the prostitute? Well, the problem is, is that if we have a black and white view, it often errs on the side of being harsh and judgmental. And this sounds kind of strange, but there's this Polish saint named Faustina and I ran across some of her teachings just really challenged me. And one of them is that she said something like the devil's praise, God's justice. And that really convicted me because I love the idea of justice, but maybe like the devil, I often justify my anger as justice saying, no, 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 this is justice (laughs) and how I, you know, Justice ends up being revenge, maybe, right? Sometimes it has that's, a little bit of fight with me. Yeah, that's justice. And I proclaim myself as being on the innocent side, where really I may be, it's not that my position is wrong, but without compassion, how I handle the issue is completely wrong. So just a black and white morality is very seductive to me because I can proclaim it's justice, but it may cause me to be in the wrong. So black and white is very dangerous thinking for me. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who, this cracked me up. His wife was telling me that, you know, he's actually a very moral person. But if you break one of his moral commands, he has no time for you whatsoever. He will not speak to you. He will ignore you. And she's like, I just don't understand where he gets that. Because, yeah, I can 100% disagree with somebody's actions, but if I see them, I can't help be friendly. And I was kind of embarrassed because in my head I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I do. And it's completely wrong. (laughs) And I know if you argued with my friend, he would say, they did X, Y, and Z, and that is wrong. But how you're handling it is also wrong. And Wait, Father Lynn, you're admitting that uh, you, you have this problem that people well, like that, I, I get, they, get ex, they get X'd out of your life? Is that what you're just saying? Yeah, I have to admit. I, I, I find it morally wrong of me. But, it, you know, it took me years to realize, you know, a higher morality, I might be morally right that that person did something wrong, but a higher morality of, is compassion that, yeah, I should greet them because compassion is a higher morality. What they did might have been wrong, but I need to be compassionate. The the wife is absolutely right. But the problem is once you have black and white thinking and thinking, well, God agrees with me on this issue, and maybe God does, it blinds you to how you're acting. And so, like, there's kind of two extremes. You could say everything's black and white, or the other extreme is kind of relativism. Black and white is... I'm so right that I can be wrong. The other, you know, I have to admit, I have to admit, many priests have gone astray with black and white morality. Uh, you know, like my friend, they take it way too far. But the other extreme is relativism, where all morality is just a personal choice. And I don't feel like it's immoral, then maybe it can't be immoral to me. 
But both extremes, black and white and relativism, is actually based a lot on the ego or can become spoiled that way. So what I really believe is, yeah, from God's standpoint, it may be black and white, but we have to wrestle with a lot of gray and constantly even be judging not whether something is right or wrong, but how are we treating it? And I think not until we die and go to heaven will we really see the black and white. What I, what I hear you saying, though, really, is that God's teachings and, you know, God's thinking is black and white, but the way that you execute or the way that you live those teachings and those uh, ideas and thinkings and truth, you have to live, live them in the context of love. Right. And and so that forces you to have compassion and empathy and you don't X people out of your life because they've, you know, wronged you or they violated some moral code or, or whatever. Right. And and the other thing is that not just that, but and this is something I really do believe, that God is constantly trying to make us evolve in our morality and what's what we accept, I should say, as moral in one part of our life is not moral in a later part of our life, even as a human, human beings. Can so you I'll give can, you an example? Yeah, give me an example. I can see it like just what is he talking about? So <laughs> to be honest, that's always a look on your face. But <laughs> so there's this guy named Dan Savage. You, do you know who Dan Savage is? I do know who he is. So he's very he's- anti-religious. Oddly enough, his dad is a deacon. His family is very, very Catholic, and he has his axes to grind. And he is really, I have to admit, a sharp debater and thinker. So that part of me kind of admires him, in all honesty. This is the gay activist who lives in Seattle. Yeah, he's like an actor or something, but he's a sharp thinker. I mean, I, I, I give him credit. And he has an axe to grind. He says, and he said, the Bible is a radically pro-slavery book. Well, the problem is, is that that's not so black and white if you really read the Bible. God actually makes us evolve on the question of slavery. And first of all, white supremacists did, did I, let's admit this, they used the Bible to support racism. The problem is that there's really no white people in the Bible. So you've got a problem there. And the other is that if you look at like St. Paul, St. Paul in this letter called Philemon, he exhorts Philemon, this slave owner, to grant freedom to a slave named Onesimus. And he says, you know, this is partly why he, you know, Onesimus ran away and went to Paul. And Paul writes his owners just to protect the slave. He says, maybe he ran away for you for a while so that you can have him back no longer as a slave but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord? So Paul is advocating that Philemon treat him as a brother. And it's true, St. Paul never comes out and says, Christians don't own other people. But the problem is slavery in ancient times is not equatable to the Southern slavery that we knew. That In fact, slavery was completely different people would sell themselves into slavery. It was just a way of paying off debts. It wasn't the brutal slavery of the Deep South. And 
nowhere does the New Testament condone slavery. So it's not a pro, radically pro-slavery thing. And also, as I said, it's culturally, it's different. But the Bible also uh, forbids brutal slavery. There's excerpts in Leviticus, so that's very ancient, that you shall not rule over a slave with harassment, but fear your God. If you abuse slaves, God's going to get very upset. Also, none of the slaves in the Old Testament could be forced into labor through kidnapping. And they can sell themselves for a period of time in servitude. So it's a completely different animal. But here's the point. The odd part is that you see this evolution with slavery. What you see in the Old Testament is this evolution where first... The people, they were allowed to have slaves, but they couldn't have Hebrew slaves. And then God comes back and changes the command to no male slaves. And then God comes back again and changes the command, all slaves must be free after so many years. So what God seems to be doing is that God doesn't seem to like slavery Now, yeah, you could take that as a black and white position. I think God really doesn't like slavery. But that may have been too much for ancient people. So God has the people slowly evolve away from the idea of slavery. And then Christ says that, you know, like he has many things to teach us. We're just not ready for them yet. So when you get to Christianity, the church, in the very early church, they rejected slavery in their masses. So while at Mass, while society allowed slaves at the Eucharist, the master and slaves were treated as equals. St. Paul says in Christ there is no free or slave, man or woman, Greek or Jew. So the church was this island of radical equality. So reading the Bible as black and white is what those who attack Christianity do. That's why you have to say, well, is whatever issue... Is it a black and white issue? Or maybe it's an issue that God is trying to make us evolve. That what is permissible in one part of the Bible is not permissible in another. Because, as Christ said, I have many things to teach you. You're just not ready for it. So when we stand before Christ, the source of all justice and goodness and compassion and love, yeah, I think everything will be black and white. But until then, uh, and even up and then, Christ will keep having us evolve. So I trust that Christ's morality is black and white. I do not trust that humanity's interpretation of what is black and white. I don't even trust my own interpretation. I hope my morality, uh, what it was when I was in my 20s, and I have to admit, in my 20s, morality was very black and white. And what it is now, I hope it's controlled by, yeah, yeah, a sense of justice, but even more so a sense of profound compassion. I used to be the person who would, you know, freeze somebody out in the name of morality. So is God black or white? Yeah, when I stand before the presence of God, I think morality will be either loving and compassionate and just or not. But I think God is helping the human race and me personally slowly evolve to wrestle with a lot of gray. And I think God takes into position, you know, your age and your background and how God can teach us. And I know I mentioned this before, but one more thing. C.S. Lewis tells this story 
And the story is called Until We Have Faces. And I really liked it. It's this take on this Roman myth. And there's this Roman myth that Cupid, you know, goddess of love, he yes. falls in love with somebody. He falls in love and they marry, but Cupid doesn't allow her to see his face. So he would only visit her at night. And her sisters begin to say, well, you know, who is this guy? You don't know what he looks like. Yes, there's this presence in your life that loves you, but you know, maybe he's hideously ugly. Maybe he doesn't exist. So she starts to doubt. And Cupid told her, you can't look at my face yet. So one day, just out of insecurity, one night, she lights a candle to look at his face and he wakes up. And the conclusion of the story is, it's not that he didn't have a face. It's that she didn't have a face. I know that sounds strange to us. He said, you want the language of love, but you don't have the words yet. I was going to teach you how to have a face and a language of love. Now you made it harder. So I feel like there's this great love out there that we're just learning the language for. And like the Pharisees that I started with, they were absolutely sure that Christ was going to be this king that kicked the Romans in the teeth. And then Christ turns out to fulfill all those prophecies, but in a language and a way that they never imagined. So, so yeah, are, I, are, you know. are, are, you, are you saying in the Cupid story that you can't really understand the language of love when you have these distractions like a face? I mean, are you saying that? I mean, it kind of sounds like that in a way. That Yeah, I don't think we can understand morality and the language of love until we develop, by face, it means some real depth to our personality until we understand exactly who we are. Like, I know this sounds kind of strange, but the older you get, if you're lucky, you gain gravitas to who you are. And I know right now you're giving me that look that you don't understand what no, I'm talking about. No, I totally about. So do. Oh, so just in case people don't, this sounds kind of strange. I was at a reception once with my sister who I think actually has the DNA of a pit bull. Somehow they <laughs> spliced it into her. And she is very aggressive. And we can see this married man hitting on this younger girl. I mean, it's just very obvious and it's disgusting. And she's very uncomfortable, but she's playing, you know, the coy coitus. Uh, oh, you know, and she's, un you can see she's uncomfortable, but she's just kind of like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And I say to my sister, because we both see the same thing. I said, you know, she shouldn't be doing that. She shouldn't treat that like a game. She should come out. And she's only like 20 years old. And I said to her, well, you wouldn't allow some guy to do that to you. And my sister said, oh, when I was 20 years old, I probably would have. She said, you know, I gain gravity to my personality. That's why I use that phrase. I gain gravity to my personality. And I know who I am and what I will and will not accept. But at 20, I don't think I would have known how to handle that. And it's not that moral issue. But like the older you get, you gain some gravity to your personality, some weight and who you, if you're lucky, if you're, you know, you're evolving. Well, that's what it, when it says, I don't have a face, it's not like she didn't have a face. She didn't have this presence to her to really understand the language of love. So when it comes to morality, yeah, I think from God's side, it's black and white. From us, 
you know, depending on our background and who we are in our age, it depends how much gravity we have that we can understand the language of God's love. So God is very patient, just like with slavery. I think God was always against slavery. It just took us some time to get the language to be against it. I mean, that makes total sense, Father Land. I think that's a good way to, to wrap this up. And for those of you listening, we welcome your comments on uh, black and white and gray and all things uh, Wrestling with God show podcast. It's easy to get those to us. You just head over to our website. It's www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com. And you click on the questions button, and you'll find it in a little blue ribbon on your desktop or laptop version of the website. Or by clicking on, there's a little three-line menu on the mobile version. You click on that, and you'll see the questions button. And if you're enjoying the Wrestling With God show, please share your favorite episodes with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people discover us. And by the way, subscribing to our podcast is free. Some people are confused about that. In fact, I think they've even changed the language on Apple Podcasts, and they now call it following us as opposed to subscribing. Anyway, it's free. And the thing is, if you do subscribe or follow us, it will guarantee that you'll know when we publish a new episode. So we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey, climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives, Thanks for listening. See you next time.